Hello, everyone. This is Sonata Allison, and you're listening to episode 17 of the Parallel Podcast, where we talk about sexuality as it should be. So as you can see, we'll be talking about abuse in the church today. I think this is a really unique story that my friend is going to share today because I think a lot of the time we hear how the church just did a trash job of handling abuse and different things like that. But she had a totally different experience with it. And I think this will be a great example for different churches and families and how to respond when a child comes to you about abuse. But also, I hope this encourages some of you to just seek counsel or good friendship and have these kinds of conversations with people because it's very freeing and healing to just kind of confide in someone and move forward in that healing. So that's what we'll be talking about today. Let's get right into it. All right, here we are with my friend Sarah. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing today? I am great. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. So as you may already know, I usually start the podcast by asking people, what is one aspect of God's character that has been evident in your life or the Trinity as a whole? First of all, I can't believe I'm being asked this question. It's so exciting. (laughs) Second of all, I would say that God as a redeemer is something that like all throughout my life has been the number one thing. It's like, you know, we as humans have such limited power when it comes to that. It's like when you have a bad, terrible thing, like that's just what it is. Like we can't, we don't have the resources to make a purely bad thing and turn it into a good thing. But it's so cool to see that like there's hope when there's awful things that happen and just like straight up messed up, screwed up stuff. And then God can be like, oh no, I'm going to take that and flip it upside down and make it something great. And this is like there's just no other person or being who has the power to do that and to do it so beautifully. And I feel like that's something I've seen a lot in my life. And it's something that just generally gives me hope on days when I feel like things are just really screwed up and I don't like being here. Yeah. (laughs) I have many days like that as well. (laughs) I'm trying to be in heaven every day on this. But cool. Awesome. It's so cool to see like people highlighting like, I just thought, like, oh, this is a cool question to ask people, but literally I get a different answer every single time. So mm. it's just really cool to see that. That's awesome. Yeah. So awesome. God the Redeemer. Good stuff. So, yes, today we are here basically to talk about your story, your experience with the church and different things that happen in your life. But before we get to that, I want to ask you, what were the kind of conversations you had with your family or, I guess, people of influence in your life about sex when you were younger? Yeah. Great question. So starting off pretty early, my mom was awesome and she sat me down and had the talk with me when I was pretty young. So that was one of my first exposures to that conversation. But even before that, one of the big parts of my stories that I'm going to be talking about today is that when I was five, I was sexually abused by my grandfather on my mom's side. Mm. So pretty early on, my first exposure to sex was a really bad one. And I think that that's something that I struggled with through life to understand sex is a good thing, just because my initial encounter with it was something awful that felt scarring for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting because I feel like outside of the sexual abuse, 
My mom, teachers at school, did a great job of talking about how great and good sex can be in marriage and like the way the Bible talks about sex in such a good way. So I feel like I had kind of this paradox of holding these two things of this was awful and it's like seriously negatively impacted impacted my life versus like sex is supposed to be this like awesome thing. And mm-hmm. my mom and my dad are doing a great job of this. And my high school Bible teacher would like sometimes stop classes when we'd have questions about sex and be like, yeah, let's talk about it. This wow. is great. Like sex is awesome. It was really cool. So I feel like I had very strongly positive conversations with people, but also just a really negative experience that I think mm. I kind of had to learn to balance in life. Yeah, for sure. That's so interesting. So yeah, so just kind of outline first what made you comfortable enough to even have this conversation with me. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of years to start out. <laughs> so initially, my parents, when I was younger, really encouraged me not to tell people or specifically my friends my age about the sexual abuse mm-hmm. because they felt like maybe they wouldn't be mature enough to really understand what I was talking about. I might get hurt. So they they were vocal about it in the church in general. And so adults were told, like babysitters were told and that kind of stuff. Oh, but wow. When I was younger, as a friend, I wouldn't be telling my friends that. Mm-hmm. And then when I was about seventh grade, my mom felt like maybe it'd be good for your absolute best friend to know. So I sat down with my best friend. I told her about it. It was like a very serious time. And as years went on, I I very rarely would tell people about it. But every year, maybe would tell a new friend. And so started mildly getting more comfortable with sharing my story. And then the first time that I shared my story with a group of people was actually at Windshape Camps where Sonata and I met. Um, was the first year I shared it with our group of women that we work together with. And I think just generally, I started seeing this theme of like, I have a story that can help people. Mm. And if I'm holding that inside, I'm not saying that everybody is required to share a story if they have one like this. But I think it can really, really help people. And one verse that my aunt shared with me when I was younger is from Second Corinthians 1. And it talks about the God of comfort comforting us. Mm. And then that comfort that we receive, we give to others because we've been comforted. Wow. And so that thought paired with just knowing that this is something that other women and men struggle with and have struggled with. And this is something that I can use as like, wow, God has redeemed me in this. And I want other people to see that so they can be helped and they can be comforted. Yeah. So I started sharing it more gradually and in more groups with more people. And it is crazy. It is crazy, Sonata, to think about the times after I shared when people would come up to me afterwards and say, like, can I tell you my story? Or that happened to me too. Mm. Or like, I have been holding this inside and I didn't know who to tell. And to see you do this and to see you being vulnerable, like makes me want to do that. And like, this is awesome. And just like the ways that God showed up when I was terrified to tell this story, because it's not an easy one to share. So yeah, just really, really cool to see that like, God has given me the story. He has redeemed a lot. And now he's been like, okay, Sarah, like you have comfort now that I've given you and you need to give this to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your story is a little different in the way that you feel like the church handled it in a more positive way. So it's going to be a little different than some, some people's stories, but I do want you to just kind of share just anything you feel like sharing. Sure thing. And, you know, in preparation for this, I called some family members just to kind of hear their sides of the story of it too. And 
it's complicated, <laughs> you know, like I think I came into it like the church handled it perfectly. And <laughs> that's just not the case. You know, the church is broken and people are broken yeah. and some people did it really well and others didn't do it as well. But I would say that the things that I'm just really grateful for in my story is I feel like overall there was such a positive response. Mm. So it wasn't a positive thing, but the way that people handled it were great. So when I told my parents, they believed me mm-hmm. and that's a huge thing in itself. Right. They immediately confronted my grandfather. And wow. at the time I grew up overseas in Czech Republic as a missionary kid. So they called my grandfather, they called my mom's siblings and immediately the next day they all came to Philly where he was and they confronted him and wow. two days later got the police involved. So I have heard some horror stories and some tragic stories of people who have not been believed, Mm -hmm. of people who have told people and then nothing was done about it. Mm -hmm. But not only was I believed, but they did something about it. Then they went to the church and they told them about it. And so it was public information. And at one time, my grandfather had been an elder. So like to like make that public information, I think there could have been in theory at stake the church's reputation yeah but they were still willing to have my family come and say this has happened and if there's anybody else that has been hurt by this please like let somebody know like we want to make sure that we address this and take care of it Mm -hmm. but the second thing that i think is just like really cool that happened from all this is that my family gave me so much time to like forgive but like when no rush whatsoever, in fact, mm-hmm. almost the opposite. They were like, you can be mad and you can call them <laughs> names and like, you can like, we'll buy some plates for you and you can throw them. Wow. And like, we'll do like anything you need to do to like process this. And like, like you don't owe him like anything. And like, we believe in Jesus. We believe in the gospel. So forgiveness is good, but you take your time. Like wow. you need to process this. And like years later, when you see a new pain that happened from this abuse, Like, you're going to have to forgive him again. And that's okay. And you keep taking your time Mm -hmm. to do that. And like, that to me was invaluable. For sure. It was invaluable because it meant I took my time. And I've I've heard again, just of awful stories where victims are forced to face the person who did it and forgive them. And and (laughs) the Christ-like way is not to just forgive and forget or do it too quickly, but to really take time to understand the pain, Mm -hmm. to understand the consequences of it. And then you can actually fully forgive them. But if you just swipe those first two things under the rug, you can't actually do it in a gospel-like way. So that is something I was just so grateful for that my family just handled that really well. My family, the church, yeah, just did a great job of. That is, wow. Like, I don't even have words. <laughs> like, how do they know to be so Christ-like? It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, honestly, and when I was talking with my aunts, you know, they kind of mentioned that at the time, like, I think people didn't as much know really what to do in a situation like that. I think maybe stories are becoming more public Mm -hmm. nowadays than they used to be. And my aunt was literally just like, I didn't know what to call the police. But just that morning when I was on the train, there was a woman who was studying for counseling who talked to me about these things. And then my other uncle had met a police detective who told him what to do that morning. And just all these things seemed to fall in place that like they didn't know what to do. And they prayed for wisdom and God gave it to them. Yeah, it's just really cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you said it <laughs> happened when you were five. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So kind of tell me a little bit about, you know, your experience of that. Yeah. So it happened when I was really young, obviously. Mm-hmm. And when I was a child, you know, when that happens to somebody so young who just doesn't understand things and 
I'm 25 and I still don't fully understand it. And I think I, I'm always taking time to try to understand what happened. Yeah. But at the time, you know, you can tell a five-year-old how it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And still at the end of the day, I see my granddaddy in jail and now my cousins can't see him anymore and I can't either. And my family's really sad and feel like it's my fault. And my, again, my family did a great job of constantly being like, no, this was entirely him. Like none of this was you, but that, that was tough. And then growing up, I think past that, I had a really hard time trusting men. My relationships with them with men, boys in general, were just really distrusting, Mm -hmm. very fearful, often uncomfortable. Yeah. So those, those are just a few of those consequences, but yeah. Yeah. That's really hard. I didn't know that he went to jail. That's even yeah, like- so he ended up he ended up going to jail, I think, for one year and then was on probation and then had people checking up on him and went to therapy. Okay. Okay. I think until the day he died. Okay. So Wow. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I think like you were saying, like a lot of kids it's a whole different experience. You don't know like to blame yourself or whatnot and mm. like some kids have a whole a different relationship with authority as well. Like I was taught, like mm. you don't question authority. So yeah. even if something bad is happening to me, I'm just going to mm. like kind of keep it to myself and not say yeah. anything. Yeah. So yeah. was that kind of what was going through your head or what made you like, how old were you when you actually told your parents? I think it probably went on for about a year or so because we lived overseas it would happen when we would go to the States for a short time or they would come to Germany where they lived at the time and we would visit them. So it wasn't like it was an ongoing thing like every week or anything, but it was just every so once in a while when we would see them, it would happen. And then, you know, I think this is just the grace of God that like at that time, I don't know what's right and wrong, Mm -hmm. but I started getting like stomach pains and I started feeling uncomfortable and having like nightmares and stuff. And I think that was God's way of like, showing me even though I was five and I didn't understand what was happening that like something's wrong here Mm -hmm. and I want to tell my parents about it even though he's telling me not to Mm. and I think that that was just a grace of God that somehow I knew to tell them and they believed me yeah yeah and that yeah that lends to the fact that our body keeps the score there's a really good book about that Mm. so like our Mm -hmm. emotions may not be shown on the outside but literally your body's telling you like something's really wrong I'm five years old I don't know what this means but Mm. my body's literally telling me like something's off yes there's like stress yeah (laughs) and I can feel it exactly literally Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. oh my gosh so interesting yeah and I think also other people's experience may be that you know they didn't remember because that happens a lot too and I was when I was in my master's somebody in my one of my classes was like kind of throwing shade or like making fun of like oh people don't just not remember but truly that happens and like in my own experience when I was younger something happened to me as well and my brothers don't even know this so if they listen now you know but yeah I didn't remember till I was about 16 and I was sitting in one of my classes and I was like oh my gosh that happened to me I think we were talking about something in class and I was like wait that was my experience so then I'm like how did I not remember this but like we're talking about your body keeps the score like sometimes your body literally protects you like has to push it down because like I said authority was like you don't do that you don't like so it was like actually a younger kid though but for Mm. whatever reason anyone older than me I'm just thinking like that's authority like when someone's older than you you can't say anything. So literally, right. I think I found out when I was 16 
and didn't say anything till I was like in college. So mm. it was a while. What I was, was that like it. for you to um, tell someone? I literally in my brain, the way I explain it, it's like it was so loud in my brain before I told my mom. So I told one of my mm. college best friends and then she's like, you should probably tell your mom this. And I'm like, oh, frick. So when I told her, it was like so loud in my brain. Like I'm just sitting in front of my mom. Like I'm going to tell her this thing. She had no clue was coming. So it's like, ah, but then when I told her she was pissed, like my mom was so Mm. mad and it's kind of just been between me and my mom until I I didn't plan on having this conversation (laughs) with you, but here we are. But yeah, it was really sharing. Yeah. It was really hard for me. And it kind of showed me like, oh my gosh, this is why I don't trust people. Like, mm. my whole life, I haven't trusted people. My whole life, like, my older brother would, like, try to be close to me, like, literally physically, like, try to hug me and stuff. And I'd literally push him away. And I think partly my relationship with my dad played a part in that, but it just affected all my relationships. So, for you, how did it affect, like, just romantic, but also platonic relationships as well? Yeah. So, like you said, distrust, I think, is one of the things that I think stemmed from that initially. So this distrust of men in general, but also just distrust of older figures that I can trust them even with small children sometimes. Mm. And that's something that still scares me. Like I used to be fearful and I think still sometimes struggle with the concept of if my husband and I ever have kids, will I be able to trust him? And I would love to say the answer is yes, but I think some days I really struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. So just maybe platonically, that's, that's one thing too. And even just to add to that, On a positive note, one of my really, really close friends in high school went through a similar thing. Not only where she remembered all of a sudden when she was a teenager that something had happened to her when she was younger, but I also went through with her a relationship where there was abuse in it. Mm. And I feel like I was all the more equipped to be her friend during those times because I knew at least to a degree what she was going through. And like, we are such close friends, even though we don't talk super often anymore. Like we went through that together and that's like, that was something that bonded us. So platonically, even though the abuse was awful and I hated it Mm -hmm. and I wish it didn't happen. That was one thing that I feel like God redeemed in that was that I got to help this friend who went through this awful thing too. Yeah. So that's platonically. And then romantically speaking, I really, I didn't date a whole lot. Mm -hmm. I had one boyfriend and he's the one I married. Oh, um, and okay. so, <laughs> yeah, pretty great. <laughs> and I just like both going into it. I didn't tell him about my abuse until probably a year or so into dating. Okay. I expected to do it. Like when we were engaged, I had some like random theoretical law in myself that I was like, I can only do it for a fiance. And then that <laughs> just didn't happen. Okay. Um, wow. Because okay. I was struggling with it yeah. when I was dating. And I was like, I want to tell this person who I'm really close to about this. And this is important to me. So I told him about it. And I just remember like, when I first told him feeling ashamed and feeling like I was going to be, if we got married, like giving him a broken package. Mm. And and first of all, he said like, that's not the case. Like that is not what I'm getting. This was done to you. Mm -hmm. Like absolutely in no way are you any less valuable in my eyes. In fact, like in some ways, like just more valuable. Mm. And I had a conversation with my best friend about that conversation later and I was just telling her, like, I just don't know what to tell him. Like, I feel like I just, like, can't give him, like, 100% purity or whatever it is. And she just, like, looked at me. And I still remember, like, I can still see it in my mind. She was just looked at me in the eyes and she said, Sarah, you're not tarnished. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm not? Like, And I feel like it was a 
new concept for me, but just to hear that and be like, you're right. Like in Christ, like Jesus has made me a hundred percent pure, a hundred percent complete. Like there's nothing lacking in me whatsoever because like God has done all the work and I have nothing to apologize for. Yeah. So that, that was just really cool conversation and hard to work through, but so good to work through. Yeah. And then as we started getting closer to marriage, it was like, okay, like this is coming up (laughs) and I don't know how this is going to work out. Just like, are we going to be okay physically? Is, am I going to just feel triggered all the time? And I was, I was anxious about that. So we went to counseling. We went to lots of counseling before we got married. Would recommend sex therapists. They're great. Yeah. And it was really good. And then we just put a lot of prayer into it, a lot of talking. And he was just so gracious. And it was just so sweet that like the night that I was so nervous about, like our wedding night, like what we were so concerned about just ended up being so sweet and Mm. so good. And I think that that's, again, just one of those moments of redemption where God was like, here's this thing that hurt you so much when you were younger. And now I'm going to show you this in a new light with someone who is loving and does not take advantage and is selfless and is caring and just a really cool way that God made something bad and turned it into something really good. Yeah. And I think that provides a lot of hope for other people too. just like hearing this, if they've experienced abuse or molestation, just knowing that it can be, it can be beautiful again. It doesn't have to be what it was. Mm -hmm. That's hope for myself as well, because Mm. all the fearful, you know, conversations you think about, like what's going to happen or am I going to like reject him because of my own past experiences? Cause just like you, I haven't really had, I don't really consider anybody that I talked to in the past a boyfriend. I guess you could say mm-hmm. I had one in like the eighth grade, but I don't count that. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's hard when you experience something like that. But I think it's awesome that you keep saying redeemed, redeemed, because mm. in my mind, I just think like all the bad things that happen to me, like it's just bad things are going to be, God's going to make good out of the bad things, but it can actually be redeemed and become something beautiful instead of just like bad happens and good can come out of it. That just doesn't sound as hopeful as being redeemed. So I think it's really cool that you say it that way. Mm -hmm. So what's like advice you'd have or like anything you'd want someone to hear that has been through something similar to you, similar Mm -hmm. that you've been through? Yeah. If I can maybe do a two part answer to that. Okay. My first part is to the church and Again, one of the reasons why I wanted to start sharing my story maybe more vocally is I'm saying a lot of examples of how the church is not handling this well yeah. and is not listening to victims. And I just want to say that in Christ, we are literally in the safest place to admit that we're wrong mm. in the world. Like we have no reason that we need to cover our backs because Christ has already covered them and So if there is somebody who comes to you in your church and your reputation's at stake, like your reputation is nothing because God has already saved everything that needs to be saved eternally. And so we are in the safest place to admit we're wrong. And me as a prideful person, I need to remind myself of that all the time too. All of us. That it's okay that I'm wrong because like Jesus is already taking care of the consequences of that, Mm -hmm. like in heaven. So that's what I would say to the church is we have nothing to hide. Christ has already redeemed all things. He will make all things good. But in fact, it's even unsafe (laughs) to not admit that we're wrong in Christ. So that would be my advice to the church. And then, man, 
The second part for just what I would say to people who have been in these stories and had situations just like this is like, it's not the end and your life doesn't have to be ruined for this. God brings like insane healing. That's just like what he does. And yeah, just constantly be bringing it to God in prayer. He mourns with you and he comforts you and he gets angry with you. Yeah. And and that is the God of justice and the God of love and the God of mercy. Yeah, I yeah. think that would be my advice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's not your fault. Like, yes. I know that sounds like so cliche, but we need to hear that. <laughs> yeah, definitely need to hear like it wasn't your fault. Like you not fighting back or you not making this decision that people have told you should have made or could have made in that situation. Mm. Like it's not your fault. Mm. And you made the decision that you thought was the safest in that moment. And that was yeah. you protecting you. So now is a time for you to protect you and communicating and healing as well. So like Sarah talks about going to counseling and confiding in in good friends that care about you are also Mm going to be really healing experiences for you. And just knowing that Mm -hmm. the Lord saw you and didn't want that to happen. But like Sarah has been saying, like he can definitely redeem that situation. So I hope this was healing for you guys. And I may do another episode on this again, because I think it's important to talk about in the church and hear different people's Mm -hmm. experiences with it. I think it's really awesome how different people navigated Sarah's situation. And if you are a parent or a pastor or anyone in the church or just have influence in your church, just kind of allow that to teach you and allow you to teach others how to best walk with people in these situations for sure. Mm -hmm. So that is it today. You guys can follow the parallel at the parallel pod on Instagram. And I will see you next week. Bye.